Well, good morning, everyone. Man, it is so good to be in church with you. This is my first time doing ministry in 2021 after Pastor Mike was here and Pastor Ryan after Christmas. And like, I am so grateful that you are here today in the house. For those of you who are watching online, good morning. Thanks for being with us. For those of you who are in overflow, thank you for being with us. Folks, I need your help at our 930 service and our 11 a.m. service today. We've been turning people away. Um, because we just don't have enough pockets to get large families in. So if you are willing to come to our 8 a.m. service, we're going to meet as a staff and figure out, do we go back to a school? Do we start a Saturday night? We're going to have to figure out something because I don't think we anticipated that in January God would bring so many back. If you're willing to come at 8 a.m. next week, that would be huge so that we don't have to turn away anybody so that everybody could have a seat on Sunday morning. But man, I'm so glad to be here with you today. We're going to start a series today that's going to go three Sundays called This Is Journey. Ten years ago today, so today's kind of a special day for me. Ten years ago today, in eight inches of snow, I invited 13 of my closest friends over to my house. There were 15 adults total in the room. Um, And I, for the very first time, gave the vision of our church and said, I think this is what God wants us to be a part of here in Lee Summit. Will you help us? And on January 10th, 2011, a group of 15 individuals, I think we had a baby sleeping in a pack and play up in our bedroom and four or five kids in the basement um, said, yeah, let's do it. Let's let's take um, nine months to figure out how to invite some family and friends into this thing um, and let's start. And 10 years later, here we are, and I believe we are just getting started. And I want to take January because this is going to be a big year as we move into a new building and begin to fulfill more of the vision than we've ever fulfilled. I want to take January to talk to you just a little bit about the spiritual direction of our church in 2021. And here's what we're going to talk about. Today, we're going to talk about prayer. Next week, we're going to talk about discipleship. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about our 25-year vision that includes our Bible college, our ministry school, what we hope to do on the mission field globally, and how we want to impact our community. So we're going to talk about what we believe God has called us to do. Here would be the premise of our series. We always try to say, here's why we're doing what we're doing. We want to learn the heartbeat of our local church so you can engage in the calling and vision God has given us. But you need to understand how I translate that word church. I do not translate the word church as journey. I don't translate the word church as an organization. You are the church. Individuals are the church. People are the church. So when I say we want to give you our vision for the church, what I'm saying is we want to lay out how we are going to help you walk with Jesus in 2021 to be who God created you to be and to do what God created you to do. We are so like serious about believing that the church is a group of people, not an organization, that when we put our mission statement together, we said we're not going to use the word church because God hasn't called us to do church stuff. He called us to do Christian stuff. So we say every week, we exist to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build the church, but all over scripture, he told Christians to build each other. So we believe our job is to build you. And we believe if we will lean into building Christians spiritually, that God will build it, will lean into building our church. So we're trying to build people. You heard Danielle just mention 141 people who made spiritual decisions. We're starting their spiritual journey today at three o'clock. We've got kind of a discipleship class for people who've just made spiritual decisions. Right after church, we have a discipleship lunch for all the kids who made spiritual decisions. We're streaming it as well. For those of you who can't be here in person, we have another one next Sunday at 3 p.m. because we believe we're supposed to build Christians. And if we build Christians, God will build his church. And as we look at 2021, what I want to talk to you about is the vision God has given us specifically in some areas we're really passionate about, prayer and discipleship 
and spiritual impact over the next 25 years. Now, you say, Christian, I thought we were going verse by verse through the book of Matthew. Like, I, I brought my Bible. We, we, you know, I thought we were just going one verse at a time. We're getting ready to do that. January 3rd, we'll start a new series called Chasing Perfection that's based on Matthew 5.48. Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We're going to see Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 um, reveal some standards to us that demand a Savior. We're going we're to see Jesus say, for you to live in relationship with God, you've got to be perfect or you've got to have me. And we're going to learn how important Jesus is as we travel through Matthew chapter 5. We've already had 10 messages in Matthew chapter 5. We will be in Matthew chapter 5 almost until May. By the time we finish Matthew 5, we'll have spent 20 messages in Matthew 5 going just a one verse, couple verses at a time. We won't finish Matthew chapter 8 until Labor Day Sunday. I think it'll take us two or three years, a few verses at a time, to get through the life of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the ways of Jesus. If you want to be a part of a church that just allows you to worship and learn the Bible, you're in the right place. That's what we're doing. But we're going to take this month to look at some big chunk areas that we're super, super passionate about. Three weeks from now, we'll be back in Matthew chapter 5. Today, we're in Acts chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 1. You can fire up your Journey Church International app, pull your notes out so that you can take some notes today. Some great, great learning in Acts chapter 1 today. Here are the goals of today's message as we talk about prayer. Number one, to clearly see the desires that drive us to wait and pray. We're going to find that some people who have powerful prayer lives have some things in common, two very specific things in common. As we look at the disciples in Acts chapter 1, we're going to see what it is that, that drives or motivates a spirit to pray. And if you're not a praying person, probably you're going to see these are two areas in your life where you don't have a lot of focus yet, but I'm praying that that might change. Over the next 10 days, we're starting a brand new initiative called Wait and Pray, 10 Days of Prayer that begins tonight at 5 p.m., Every morning this week, 6 to 7 a.m., Saturday at 9 a.m., next Sunday at 5 p.m., Monday at 6 a.m., Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. You say, man, that's a lot of dates. We'll get some information into your hands. When you leave, we're going to put this prayer journal in your hands. This is a prayer journal that will take you through every prayer service we have between now and Labor Day. It has a week of devotions for Passion Week, so between Palm Sunday and Easter, a week of reading, Bible reading, and some thoughts. Um, it's got our summer emphasis on fasting and prayer. We'll teach on fasting, the spiritual discipline of fasting in May, and then we'll teach you this summer how to begin to practice fasting so you can make your soul more hungry for Jesus. This is an incredible resource. As you leave, they're kind of stacked in the doorways. Just grab one as you go. Even if you're going to be with us online, this will be super, super valuable for you as you learn to pray over the next 10 days and over this year. So that'll be a big deal. But why do we want to learn to pray? Ultimately, because we want to see the impact of answered prayer. I mean, we want to learn the spiritual discipline of prayer because we, we understand how that's going to allow us to lean into the heart of Jesus. But I think as a church that's on mission like we are, it's important to see what answered prayer will do for the community that we live in, for the city that we live in, for the world that we love. What will happen if we pray? Because we're going to talk about prayer today. And because we're going to read God's word today, we never stop, uh, get into God's word without stopping to, to pray and ask God to speak to us through his word. So before we learn about prayer, let's pray. Would you just bow your heads real quick here and those of you watching online, those of you in our overflow today, bow your head, take a deep breath. And if you're a praying person, just whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven. Just say, speak, Lord, I'm listening. A high priest named Eli taught a future prophet named Samuel 
to pray this way. Speak, Lord, I'm listening. God, I pray you'd speak to us today. Nobody came to hear me today. Lord, they came to hear from you. I pray that nobody today will leave thinking what a great church experience they have had. I pray that they'll leave thinking about the transaction and connection with you that they've made. Speak to us, Lord, we're listening. Reveal to us the desires in life that can only be satisfied through prayer and help us see the impact of prayer in a way that motivates us to pray with purpose. Speak to us today, we're listening, Lord. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Acts chapter one, Acts is the second book of a two-book series written by an author named Luke who was writing the story about Jesus and his followers in his church to a friend named Theophilus. In Acts chapter one, Luke will take two verses to summarize 24 chapters in the book of Luke. He'll say, here's everything my first book was about. If you haven't read it, you go, should, you should. But Acts is a story of what happened after Jesus went back to heaven. It's the story of his followers. It's the story of his church, of his people. And here's what Luke says. We're going to read Acts 1, 1 through 14. He says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. There is your two-verse summary of 24 chapters of the book of Luke. He's like, I wrote a book about Jesus. You should go read it. Verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. If you have your pen, circle that word, wait, wait. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his own authority, but you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, the Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judah son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The last thing Jesus said to his disciples was, go to Jerusalem and wait and pray. Go to Jerusalem and wait and pray because you're going to receive a gift from me and a mission from me. Those two go together, but you're not going to get them until you go to Jerusalem and you wait and you pray. We would see that this group did this, and after 10 days, the gift and the mission fell on them in the form of the Holy Spirit and the launch of God's church, what we now call the day of Pentecost in church history. The Holy Spirit of God fell, and the apostle Peter stood up and kind of preached the first sermon of the Christian church, and 3,000 people that day decided to become followers of Jesus. Jesus said, go back to Jerusalem and wait and pray. But it took a little bit of jarring to get them there because Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait and pray. And then he ascended. And as he ascended, they found themselves kind of, kind of looking to the heavens while being disobedient to the heavenly calling so long. So how long were they standing there? Long enough that angels had to come and say, hey, go to Jerusalem and pray. God didn't tell you to stare into the sky 
He told you to go pray. He told you to connect to him and talk to him. And folks, I think some Christians in our country need a little jarring this week because we've kind of been staring into the sky, wondering what God is doing, but we've been talking to our friends on Facebook instead of our Savior in heaven. We've been posting on Instagram instead of praying on our knees. We've been logging on to Twitter until we're all going to get kicked off, right? Like, say, can you feel like everybody understand what I'm saying, right? Like that, that's where we're headed, right? Say, can you say that until they kick me off? I, I did and I will. Um, like that, the problem is Jesus has already told us how to connect to the heavenly vision, the heavenly mission, the heavenly power. But so often on weeks where we feel bewildered, we look to the heavens, but we don't get on our knees and talk to Jesus. And the angels had to say, um, hey, like snap out of it go pray. Nothing happens until you pray. You were told to pray, go pray, staring into the skies, not going to do anything for it. Go pray because a gift and a mission and a promise is going to come to you. Today, we're going to try to answer two questions about prayer. Why do we pray? And what's the impact of prayer? But here's what I want to teach you today. I'd, I'd love to dig into Acts chapter one and I'd love to teach in depth on the Holy Spirit. I'd love to teach in depth on evangelism. I'd love to teach in depth on, the, on kind of the, the birth of the church. And maybe, maybe one day we'll get there. Maybe after Matthew, we'll, we'll dig into Acts for a year. But today, I want to focus on this 10 days. And I want to see what drove these followers of Jesus. We later learned that there are 120 of them. What drove them during this 10 days? What motivated their hearts to wait and pray in a way that changed the world? And how do we get there. That's my goal today. So two questions. Question number one, why do we pray? And I think Luke gives it to us. One of the things is really obvious when you got to look a little deeper. Luke presents us with two spiritual motivations that the disciples had as they began to pray. The first is really easy to see in the text because they actually ask for it specifically. Why were the disciples praying? Motivation number one, because of the kingdom. The kingdom, they, they were praying, they were, I would say they were desperate to pray, they were driven to pray, they were moved to pray because they wanted to experience something on earth that was more than they were experiencing. They, they wanted Jesus to rule and reign on the earth. They actually asked him this in verse 6. He'd gone through the crucifixion and the resurrection, and he walked and talked among them for 40 days. And they gathered around him, and they asked, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, like are, you, are, you, are you finally going to do what we want you to do? He said, what, what is, Christian, what does it mean to restore the kingdom? Well, it can, it can mean two things. I, I think I understand because of Jesus' answer what it does mean. When you think about the kingdom of Israel, you can think about the physical kingdom of Israel. You say, what is that? When you look at the promise that was given to Abraham in Genesis 15, 18, God told Abraham before he owned even an acre of property, one day your people are going to own a land that stretches from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates River. And during the time of King David's empire, this actually happened. The brook of Egypt is a little river that kind of flows through the northeast corner of the Sinai Peninsula. David had people, vassal states, paying taxes to him all the way in Mesopotamia on the Euphrates River. So God did fulfill that promise to Abraham. He says, is this what they were talking about? Were they asking, like, is it time now to expand the, the, like the geopolitical power of our country again? You say, is that what they were asking? The answer is no. You say, how do you know? Because that's not what the people of faith who followed the spiritual Messiah were about. As a matter of fact, we, we learn from Abraham what the kingdom 
is all about in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 tries to unpack the faith of Abraham, and it says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Even though he didn't know where he was going, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, never had a house, as did Isaac and Jacob, his son and his grandson, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He was looking for a a heavenly, eternal, spiritual kingdom. Watch this. First in his own heart, then in his own family, then with like his descendants, anyone who he would oversee, he believed the kingdom of God was a spiritual thing that impacted your heart and your family and your descendants more than it impacted anyone else. And he had that kingdom within him. He never had an ounce of land. He didn't have a kingdom that extended from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates River, but he had a relationship with the God of heaven. What the disciples were asking Jesus was this. They looked around the Roman Empire in the first century and they said, Jesus, are you going to fix this place now? please? Like Jesus, are you, now are you going to, are you going to rule all of this? See, the kingdom of God is the kingdom that Jesus rules and reigns over. And I don't know if you've had this thought yet this week, but it's been a kingdom week for me where I've looked around and thought, Jesus, like now, now can you be in charge? Now can you be in charge of what's going on? Can we mourn together as a spiritual family? Kind of, kind of, kind of what happened? Can we, lay, can, we like, can we just lay aside some politics and, and mourn spiritually a little bit? I mean, like our representative this week, ours, ours, our district, the guy who's on our ballot, Emmanuel Cleaver, uh, this week opened Congress with a, a prayer, former pastor in Kansas City, by praying to every God of every faith that there is. Because the Old Testament, that, like that always worked well in the Old Testament. Like when you pray to all the gods at the same time, like that's the exact opposite way that a follower of the God of the Bible prays. But, but, he, but he opened by praying to the monotheistic God and the Brahmin and every God of every faith. Um... And then, he, and then he closed by saying, amen, and a woman. Yes, yeah, so you were watching the news this week, amen, and a woman. And I just thought, Lord, what's going on here? To make matters even more confusing spiritually, a lot of the negative feedback towards that ending of the prayer, a man and a woman, is that it was the exact same week they put legislation before Congress to not use any gender at all because that was offensive. So you not only don't pray a man and a woman, they're not gonna, there's legislation that they don't use terms like man or woman or son or daughter or husband or wife anymore. A man and a woman are a person. A son and a daughter is a child. Um, a husband and a wife is a person. Like they just, they don't want to offend anyone so they're like, Let's, let's just strip all of this out of everything. Which means like 10 days before the, the first female vice president of the United States is sworn in, what they're asking us to do is not to go to our daughters and say, listen, God can use you in one of the greatest seats of power in the world. And if everyone ever, anyone ever told you you couldn't be used because you were a girl, 
Look what's happening. They, they don't want us to do that. Instead, they want us to go to our daughters and say, child, child, not daughter. Um, this is now the 46th presidential party in the history of our country. Um, but they've all been the same. Now, this time, the vice president identifies herself as female, but the reality is they've all been the same, like, no, like nothing to see here. Like, that's... Like, I saw that and heard that, and I just thought, Lord, has everyone lost their mind? Like, I, like, that's what I thought. Has everyone lost their mind? And I thought, is everyone in Washington crazy? That's what I thought. Is everyone in Washington crazy? And God said, wait till Wednesday. You'll find out. <laughs> because after a crazy fringe of the Democratic Party did their thing, a crazy fringe of the Republican Party was like, hold my beer and watch this. And like they, (laughs) they just went and stormed the Capitol. Like they rioted at the Capitol while there was a joint session of Congress happening. Some of them armed to the teeth. Capitol police officer was killed. Uh, Some of the rioters and protesters were killed. And I think we're, we're fortunate it ended like it did. My 19 and 17-year-old kids are texting me saying, Dad, are you seeing what's going on? We're going to be okay. Like, what's, what's happening? And what's happening is, if I could back up a slide, I feel like a stranger in this world. I mean, I'm watching TV thinking either they're from a different planet or I'm from a different planet, but I think we're different. Like, This week, I was so glad I wasn't from Washington, D.C. But then I took it a step further, and I thought, I'm so glad I'm not from planet Earth. You say, you're not from planet Earth? I was born on planet Earth, but I was born again into a spiritual kingdom in the heavenly realms. And I have an eternal king that we don't have to vote on every four years, and he gives me way more than low taxes and a good economy and a a strong military. Amen? Like, Like, I was like, Lord, I just don't feel like I fit here. And God said, you don't. You don't. This isn't your place. These aren't your leaders. You may have been born on planet earth, but you were born again into a heavenly kingdom. And as long as you look at your physical surroundings to find your peace and hope and joy, you are going to be badly, badly, badly disappointed. You got to start looking for the kingdom. For those in our world that are still praying to God and country, listen, our God and this country don't belong on the same altar together. They never have and they never do. No country in the world. And I will say for those who pray to God and country, you're being a little selfish because 95% of the population of humanity lives outside our country. You should be praying for God and the world, not God and your country to make it easier on your faith walk. It's like, Lord, help, help me see what's going on here. I don't feel like I fit anymore. Charles Spurgeon helped me this week, that great preacher from London in the early 1900s. As I was reading through scripture, this is for someone in the house today, maybe someone watching online. He said, some tribulations belong especially to the people of God. Until we mount up to heaven, we'll never be able to escape from sorrow and sighing. Suffering is one of the things written in the covenant of grace as a blessing. The distress of believers when it is sanctified to them loosens their hold on this world. Trials cut the ropes that fasten 
are sold to earthly things. Trouble like a sharp spade digs up the earth that is about our roots, and then we bring forth more fruit. Were it not for the thorns in our nest, we would be so content with his soft lining that we would sit in it till we died. But the sharp thorns prick us, and then we turn our eye toward heaven above. Let me tell you what this week has been. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, I, I can summarize what you've been feeling in your heart with one word this week, and here's the word, homesickness. You have been sick for your heavenly home and your heavenly savior and your heavenly ruler. And if we will turn in prayer to begin to see the kingdom and seek the kingdom, we would not look for so much comfort here and we would get so much more comfort from there. Amen. Like, you know what we're feeling this week is we watch the chaos of everything. We just feel like we don't fit. We feel like Abraham who looks around and thinks, I don't think ultimately this is where I'm supposed to end up. And Charles Spurgeon says, ultimately, these are things that turn our weeks towards heaven. This may have been one of your most uncomfortable weeks, but one of your best weeks spiritually, if it convinced you that you don't want to stay here all of eternity, you want to go to a place, a spiritual home with a spiritual king who's better than what we have. Amen. Like that is the thought of the disciples when they came to Jesus and they're like, Lord God, now go read about the Romans in the first century. Lord, now please will you take control? And Jesus said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take control of your lives and then you're going to build my kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. This week has been a great week spiritually if it has loosened some of the things your heart has always connected to on earth and it has attached them to the God of heaven, this week God, I believe, has used powerfully. And prayer, prayer is a heavenly posture. Prayer is bowing your knee while you're on planet earth realizing, God, I'm a citizen of heaven, not this place. So God, I, in prayer, I admit that you are my king. In prayer, I admit that I'm looking forward to your kingdom. In prayer, I admit that I want you to have all of me and I want your kingdom in my life on earth just like it would be in heaven. But I realize this place is not my home and I'm looking forward to something better. That's why we pray. We pray because we're desperate for the kingdom. That's why the disciples were praying. But then the second reason they were able to pray and pray so fervently, number two, is they believed Jesus was coming again. Like they believe that Jesus was coming again. Everybody say Jesus. I say every Sunday at our church, it's all about Jesus. He is the only thing that works in every area of life. They believe that Jesus was coming again. So they're standing on the Mount of Olives. I've been there more than a dozen times. Every time I get to the Mount of Olives, every time I stand on the Mount of Olives, the first thing I do is look up. Because in Acts chapter one, the angels told the disciples, this same Jesus that you've seen go up is going to come again. And in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah said the first place the Messiah is going to set his feet on planet earth when he comes against is the Mount of Olives. Every time I get there, I think, what are the chances? Right time, right place. <laughs> get your phone ready. Post a selfie on whatever platform I'm allowed to. It's like, okay, there he is. It's like, he's here. So first, I mean, when I, when I get to the Mount of Olives, first thing I do, and when everyone else in our group goes and gets on the bus, and I'm I like, I'm always checking as I drive away, just in case. He's not come yet but I believe he's coming one day. Do you? Do you believe that Jesus is coming back? Because in Acts chapter 1, one of the things that fueled the disciples to go pray is the angel said, men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into the heaven is going to come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And Jesus said, the way you're going to connect with me between now and then is you're going to pray. So you say, why do we pray? 
relationally speaking, why do we pray? Here's one of the reasons I pray. I like to keep in touch with those I plan to be in touch with in the future. If I know I'm going to see someone next week, next month, next year, I like to keep in touch with them. I think there are a lot of Christians who don't pray because they do not ever intend really having a conversation with Jesus face to face. I think there's a lot of followers of Jesus who are really kind of mesmerized by heaven, the heavenly city, kind of all the perks and perfection of heaven, but you've not really thought about what you will say when you pass Jesus on the street. And the angels told the disciples, go talk to the one that one day you're going to be with forever. It's a relational thing. We pray because Jesus is coming back. We learn a little bit about the posture of this in Matthew 25. The first episode of The Bachelor ever recorded was Matthew chapter 25. Say, what are you talking about? There's a story that Jesus tells of a guy who was coming to get married that a bunch of women wanted to marry. So they all brought their lamps. There were tin oil lamps, and the bridegroom was going to come, and he was going to give one of them a rose, and he was going to take him to be his wife. And I guess like the first episode ever of The Bachelor. And while they're waiting, because he didn't come during the day, they kind of, some of them fell asleep, and they heard in the middle of the night, he's here, he's coming. So they all wake up, and five of them had, had run out of oil in their lamps. So they went to the other five, and they're like, hey, give us, give, you know, give us some of your oil. And they're like, no way, if we run out, he, he, he might not pick me. And Jesus said, like, people who are really looking forward to connecting relationally with someone on an intimate level. They stay ready. They stay ready. They stay engaged relationally. In Matthew chapter 25, he said it this way, therefore keep watch. Because you don't know when the day or the hour is going to come. So, so the reason we pray is because that is our posture of looking for Jesus in case he's on the way today. My favorite memory over New Year's this year was December 30, when in this room, our kids ministry director who was then Tara Stafford, uh, got married and became Tara Wells. The highlight of uh, my New Year's break. And probably the highlight of the wedding was standing on the stage with her fiancé, Chris, standing right here on the floor. It's my favorite spot at every wedding that I ever do. Very traditional, so they didn't see each other or take pictures together before the wedding. Um, so he has not seen her all day long yet in her wedding dress. The whole wedding party comes. We're all on the stage assembled. Um, and then the music changes. So the bride's getting ready to come in. And people kind of stand up. And you can see, I'm watching him try to, try to maneuver to see that door. Like I can see him trying to look around people, look over people. The first set kind of opens up. And you can see him kind of raise up on his tippy toes a little bit. But she was behind the second set that was still closed. So he kind of went back down. Then that second set opened. And you saw him kind of see her, and from behind you just saw him start taking these huge deep breaths. And I thought, man, that's it. Jesus says that's how people are supposed to be looking for him. See, every time we get on our knees in prayer, we're getting on our tiptoes spiritually. And we're saying, is he, is it, is it time? Which door is he coming through? Is he, like, is he over here? And we got to learn to see around things. And folks, I'm going to be very honest with you. In this country and on this week, if we don't learn to get on our tippy toes and see beyond Washington to the Savior behind him or her or it, we're never going to be satisfied in our soul. Them, like whatever, like whatever, you know. It's like, you know. We've got to learn to begin to keep watch for Jesus. And that's what the disciples were doing. They were praying every day, but I think they were praying with one eye towards heaven, thinking, okay, we're talking to him, but I think they thought he was going to come back in 10 days or 
a year or two years or three years. The early church had this thought that he's coming any time. I think because it's been 2,000 years, our church has kind of got the thought that he's never coming. But if you want to be someone who has a life of prayer, you get motivated by the thought that Jesus is coming back. And living a life of prayer is having a posture of waiting for the doors to swing open. Say, so Christian, what do you think about a Christian who does not feel the need to have a prayer life? I think their heart is not burdened enough by the state of the world to desire the kingdom. And I think their eyes are not focused on seeing Jesus every day. That's what I think. I think Christians who do not have a passionate personal prayer life have not gotten to the point where they're so burdened by the world that they're looking for a heavenly kingdom. And I think they are so distracted by the world that they're not on their tiptoes looking for Jesus. When those things change, you will find yourself like the disciples being people who pray, and you'll even know why you pray, because with Jesus, man, it just, it just doesn't look very good. That's why we pray. What's the impact of prayer? What's the impact of prayer? We know, we know why we pray. Hope, hopefully, you'll join us as we learn to pray, but what is the impact of prayer? Let me say it this way. What could happen in your life in 2021 if you would become a person of prayer? What would happen in your life in 2021 if you said, I'm going to take the 10-day challenge and then I'm, 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 I'm going pr- to have a prayer life. What could happen if you begin to pray? Jesus tells us in Acts chapter 1, he said to the disciples, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his own authority. They're like, when, when are you finally going to be in charge? He's like, it's not for you to know that for the whole world. But you, here's when I'll be in charge of you. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you're going to be my witnesses. If you have a pen, you should underline those. You will. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He said, it's not for you to know when I'm going to be in control of the entire world. But here's what will happen when I am in control of you. You will begin to connect to me daily. And when my power begins to hit your soul in your life, you're going to be someone who lets the entire world know who I am. If you ask me, Christian, where's the Holy Spirit moving most mightily right now at Journey, I would say in our college students. I would say in our college students. We got a group of 18 interns right now that if, if you were to say, Christian, we'll give you 20 people from Journey to go anywhere in the world and start a church with, I would say, give me those 18 and then give me two guys who want to help fund the thing. And like, we're, like, we're off because college kids are poor and we would need a little bit of money um, probably. But it's like, hey, well, you know, with those 18 and two guys that have the gift of giving to gals, we could, we could do it. Um, let's go. I walked in this room on New Year's Eve, just, I don't know, 90 minutes or so before midnight. There were dozens of students scattered across this room watching the live telecast of the Passion Conference. And when so many college kids around the country were toasting something they probably shouldn't have been toasting at midnight, ours were taking communion as the clock struck 12 And I just thought, Lord, give me that energy, man, that the last thought of this year is Jesus and the first thought of next year is Jesus. Man, give me some of that. They invited me to speak at kind of their college kickoff night. They've had, I think, almost eight services getting ready to invite all their friends. And last Thursday, they had their college kickoff night, 51 kids in the room. They anticipated 30 or 35. So, I mean, they got chairs spread everywhere. There's people sitting on the floor. And I told the college kids, probably here's one thing you need to know. If no one's told you yet, it is between the ages of 18 and 23 that you either decide to walk with God or away from God, but you have to make, you have to make a choice one way or the other. Mom and dad ain't here. You're not going to get dragged to church. Your youth pastor's not going to call you. Like the ages of 18 to 25, statistically what we're told is 85% of all kids who grew up in church at 18 leave the church. 
Nearly nine out of 10. Stop going to church. Most will come back when they have a child and they think my child needs to grow up in church like I did, but it's more for their kid than them. And they really never reconnect to their heart and their passion. So I told them nine out of 10 of you, or if your friends, your graduating class, going to go to college, you're going to walk away from God, not walk with God. But those of you who choose every day of your life, and only you can make the decision to get up and walk with Jesus, I think God's going to use you in an incredible way. But you will probably be in the very, very small percentage of kids at your school, Christian or public university. Probably you'll be massively ridiculed, but God will use you mightily. But you have to decide every day whether or not you're going to tap into Jesus and the, in the power of his spirit by walking with God. But it's got to be a daily decision. What Jesus was telling his disciples is interesting. In Acts chapter 1, as he talked to them about his spirit, he told them he would, get, he, he, he said he'd give his spirit to us so that we could give our lives to him. Jesus said, here's going to be my trade. You're going to pray, and I'm going to give you my spirit, but I'm giving you my spirit so you can give me your life. But it's going to have to be like, a, like, an, like an everyday thing. Inside your bulletin, you're going to see something we've, we've never produced before, but um, one of my friends at our at our church challenged me to produce. It's a little sheet that says daily reflections, kind of looks like your sermon notes, but it's not. Had a friend who invited me to breakfast in December and we went and ate breakfast together. He was raised Catholic and he brought me his Catholic catechism book from his youth. And it had a daily scripture and a daily reflection. And he brought it to me and he said, every week I, I bring home my sermon notes and I keep them in my Bible and I try to look at it every day so that I'm not just thinking about the sermon like for 30 minutes a week, but like every day I just revisit it so that whatever God has spoken to me on Sunday like is drilled deep by Friday. But he said, I'm not, I don't know how to do it very well. And he said, when I was a Catholic, I used to read this little book and every day they had a verse and a reflection. He said, would you be willing every week with your sermon to write like a little daily reflection thing that I could just keep with my Bible because I think it would help me what God speaks to me on Sunday. I think it would help me every day. Like if I did it for a week, I just think it would just really drill down the truth. That he gave. Would, you, would you do that for me? And I said, it's a great idea. I'll try. So we're producing this and we'll produce this this year and see if it helps you walk with God because our, our hope is not that you come to church on Sunday. Our hope is that you walk with God every day. And what God speaks to you on Sunday, you just live in until it's accomplished by the next weekend. In John chapter 16, we learn a lot about the Holy Spirit's ministry, specifically that he comes to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You say, summarize that for me. Holy Spirit helps you know what's wrong, helps you know what's right, helps you know who you need to reach. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, here's what the Holy Spirit will need from you. He said, you'll get my power, I'll get your witness. How many of you want to be a witness of Jesus? Don't raise your hand yet. I need to explain to you what that is. Because when Jesus says, you'll be my witness, the Greek word that is used in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is the word martyres. It's the English word we get martyr from. You're like, is that talking to my friend about Jesus? It appears to be more than that. Jesus says, here's what it'll look like for you to be a witness. You're going to give your life as a testimony of who Jesus is. It's interesting, we use the word testify in church, and I think, sadly, we've become a testifying church rather than a testimony church, meaning we talk a lot about Jesus. But there are not very many people giving their entire life for Jesus. And Jesus said, the only way to impact the world, the only way for the world to see me is for me to have all of you. Not just your mouth, not just your thumbs, not just your social media. I'm going to need all of you. 
I will give you all of my spirit if you will give me all of your life. And here will be the impact. If you will be my witness, you will have my impact. The whole world will have the opportunity to know who Jesus is. So you say, okay, this, this series, this is journey. What, what, what is journey? Lord willing, journey is a group of broken people living in a broken world who understand that this is not our home and we don't anchor our hopes and dreams and peace or anxieties to it. It's not our home. We are a group of people who are often homesick. But like when we're on a bad vacation or at a bad hotel, we get to think, at least I get to go home. We are a group of people who often think this world has lost its mind. But I know one day I'm going to get to go home. You say, who is Journey? Hopefully a group of broken people living in a broken world who because they realize they're of another place are constantly connecting to that place in prayer and through dependence who are walking with Jesus, who are, who are trying to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, not just for them, but for the impact they can have if Jesus has all of them. See, if that becomes who you are, and then that becomes who we are, God will use not this organization, but this group of people and this vision and this mission mightily in our city. And you tell me, you heard me say, I'm glad I wasn't for Washington, D.C. There's a lot of people saying, I'm glad I'm not from Missouri. Because it was our congressman who opened in prayer. And it was our senator that a lot of people were saying incited a lot of people to go do things they shouldn't have done. So they're saying, what's wrong with Missouri? We need Jesus. That's what's wrong with Missouri. We need Jesus. Starting with this guy right here. Like Abraham. Me, my family, the people that I'm responsible for. We need Jesus. And if we can figure out that part of it and live spiritually in a spiritual community with lots of other people... Maybe our world will have Jesus like, like we have Jesus. This was the thought of Isaiah when he said, you got to lean in. In Isaiah chapter 40, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. What happened this week didn't happen because God was too tired to deal with it. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases their strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary and the young shall utterly fall, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They should walk and not faint. Who is Journey? Hopefully a group of people walking, taking a walk with Jesus this year. Hopefully a group of people waiting on Jesus this year, waiting on his kingdom for our ultimate satisfaction, his rule for our ultimate authority. We are a group of people who, because we've stopped to wait on Jesus, have been filled with the spirit and the strength of Jesus to go do what Jesus has called us to. If you don't know Jesus today, you can open your heart and receive him. If you never even heard any of this and you're like, wait, God knows me, loves me, and Jesus wants to be with me, the answer is yes. If you are a follower of Jesus, some of you might need the scales to fall from your eyes of what you've been trusting in. And God uses weeks like these to kind of shake our spirit and say, get your eyes up. Get your eyes up. No higher. No higher. No higher. Get your eyes up. Get them on that heavenly Savior. Now attach to him every day. If you'll do it, it'll change you and you will be used to change this place that needs it. Amen? It needs it. Let's pray together. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room, but hearts are open. If you're here today and you've never met Jesus, he is the savior of all of our souls. He is the king.
of a future eternal kingdom you are invited to live in. He came to earth so you could go to heaven. He came to people who are spiritually broken and separated from God to bring healing and to connect you to God. He came to forgive your rebellion against God and to give you a heart that's for God. If you need Jesus today, just tell him you need him. Here in the room, those watching online, you say, if God loves me and is inviting me to be close to him, I accept that invitation. Just tell Jesus you need him. You say, Christian, how do I do that? You just pray. You say, I don't know what to pray. I'll say a prayer you can repeat. You don't have to repeat it out loud. You just pray it from your heart to heaven today. It's not really my words or your words, but the surrender of your heart and the acknowledgement of your need for Jesus. Just pray something like this. Jesus, I need you. Just repeat after me if you don't have Jesus, but you want him. Jesus, I need you. Forgive my sin and my brokenness. Heal me. Make me brand new from the inside out. I surrender my life to your leadership. So come into my world, my heart, and my life and lead me. Use every experience in life to help my heart see you better and clearly. Today I choose to become a follower of Jesus. Heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. If you prayed with me in just a second, Danielle will tell you how you can let us know so we can celebrate with you, so we can pray with you, so we can answer questions, so we can help you begin your spiritual journey, your discipleship journey. But before we say our final amen, Christians, right, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, but hearts are open. Christians, have you felt homesick spiritually this week? Pray. Have you lost hope that Jesus is still the answer, that he's still coming again? Pray. And learn to thank Jesus for weeks like this week that force your eyes to heaven and learn to live a life that keeps them focused there one day at a time as you walk with Jesus. Father God, we thank you for this week. We praise you for this week because you know without weeks like this that, Lord, our soul would be content in the things of this world and in fallen and flawed leadership of this world. But, Lord, sometimes you give us such a jolt like you have for so many this week that our eyes are forced up and it's there that we find peace. It's there that we find hope. It's there that we find joy because it's there that we find Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross, taking its scorn and its shame. He was crucified so that we could live. He was buried so that we might rise. His life was given for us so that ours might be changed for him. And now he's at the right hand of God and he's saying, I got you and I'm with you and I'm for you. But you've got to walk with me. Father, we thank you for Jesus and weeks that help us see him more clearly. God, we pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, but we understand that means our heart, our chest cavity, our soul. God, we pray for us and our family like Joshua, that regardless of where everyone else is going, we say we're going to serve the 